Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Friday, September the 14th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first daily dose of happy for this beautiful Friday. We hope your Friday's off to a great start. We're going to, of course, try to get it off to an even better start, like we do with every one of our shows, because uh, you know, it, our, one of our top goals as we do these episodes of the podcast is to help people get into a better feeling place every day. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's the main driving force why we're getting more and more people subscribing, more and more people listening. I mean, Tom, I was telling Wendy yesterday afternoon, the numbers are really starting to grow in a significant way. Since over the last two or three months, the number of plays per day has doubled. We are currently averaging nearly 500 plays a day. A couple months ago, it was about 200 to 250. Wow, it's growing really fast. It really is growing. It's fabulous. It's yeah. like, oh wow, this is so exciting. Can we can we keep growing at this rate? Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe triple that. Yeah, you know, that'd be fabulous. If people really start to get the understanding of how much they are creating their you know, their reality, how much this is uh really we're conscious creators, it's like a very powerful understanding that starts to affect every area of your life. And um I think more and more people are realizing they can't depend on their government. <laughs> the government? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, okay. and they can't depend on the world situation that they better they better look deeper for what's going on here. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah, I, that's how I personally feel. I could tell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gave absolutely no clue about that, but yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm teasing you. But yeah, uh, know. you know, you're right. I mean, the, and, and that's what I love about this. There are so many people who are... Um, I mean, not nearly as many as I think could discover us have discovered us so far. So far, the, the numbers are fairly small compared to the overall population of people who are followers of the Law of Attraction. But nevertheless, that. as they're finding us, they're listening and we're saying, yay, hooray, because that means <sighs> the message keeps getting spread. And that's the best yeah. part, you know? I mean, I've been talking a lot lately about how when people are, are tweeting and posting on Facebook or on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, you know, that they were listening to the show that it's been growing the numbers. Well, boy, it really has been. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the evidence has now become quite overwhelming. And that's because not just of, of the posts and the tweets, but the energy attached to them. That energy is really just going in, in places that the people tweeting don't even know about, you know? Mm-hmm. that's yeah. and, and when we put a, a show on, it goes out in ways that we don't even know about. We just know that it will because we're always having such a good time, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> Pretty much always. Even sometimes when we do that. I- even when we Sometimes. do the serious stuff, I mean, we do serious topics too. But oh, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. even when we do that, you know, we still have a fun time. With it. We still have a good time. Well, yeah, no, we laugh and have a blast, yeah, because yeah. we know that there's no reason to take it too seriously. Because everything, you know, if if we're really infinite beings, and then we really do have a lot more leeway than we think, you know. And there's uh, what does he usually say? Get, this you, world can seem pretty serious, but what, 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 um, isn't that what you say? Nothing serious is going yeah. on here. Right. Nothing yeah. serious is going on here. I've got little signs around my house of that. But so, sometimes, like lately, I've been looking at those and going, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doubt does creep in occasionally, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, there's different ways to look at that. Nothing serious. When you're in the contrast, right? When you're in the contrast and you're learning from contrast and you're learning, you know, to make your choices, it, it could sometimes seem like it matters, you know, it's like, of course I it guess it, yeah. it matters that life matters, you know, it, that we come in here to this earth and uh, it might be a big play, but it often sometimes seems pretty dang real. And when we're going through emotional pain, for example, it seems real. It does. Very real. Yeah. And, and and it seems really painful and so forth. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, exactly. Uh, it's kind of like a, uh, there was a little piece of a movie that I saw, and, and I can't say I really liked most of the movie, so I didn't watch the whole thing. But this one scene was, was such a great metaphor for this, because it was a scene of the, this couple were kind of doing this this little, you can't call it a chase, because the people they were chasing was so far ahead that you know calling it a chase would be a disservice. But they were in Paris, I think it was, and they were on um, you know that, that big uh, circular roundabout that, that they have in the center of the city. And... Uh-huh. They first they were you you could see them from overhead like they were shooting from a helicopter and they were part of this this little carousel dance that's what it looks like from up above right <laughs> uh-huh. it's just this very gentle slow moving dance going around this circle and then you zoom in on them 
and their experience up close is, oh my God, we almost got hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And from the top, oh, da, 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 yeah, like pretty much. Head. Right. Yeah. The perspective yeah, is like everything. It. But, it is. Yeah. But when you're in it, your perspective is, oh my God, I'm in it. Ah! <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, um, that's a lot what our topic's about today is, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm I'm feeling <laughs> symptoms in my body. Why am I feeling these symptoms? Is or that the subtitle then? I, <laughs> you know, the subtitle is, oh, my God. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you entitled it Exploring the Psychosomatic Phenomenon, which is an interesting title all by itself. Um, <laughs> really, it is. Uh, well, why? why? Well, just because exploring the psychosomatic phenomenon, psychosomatic is usually something we associate with i'm feeling something but it isn't really there oh and, oh you know so like there's like a double meaning going on in that in that title that's what i was thinking right yeah yeah the word phenomena can mean a lot of different things i actually looked it up before i put it in there to see all the different definitions of it oh really um, what what was was there like a particular purpose you know why you chose that word yeah i had in there the word connection and uh -huh. then i thought yeah, it's not exciting enough word. Oh. <laughs> so, hey, we're going no, for sensational. I, I wanted a word that that more um, described how it has an this whole word psychosomatic has an aura about it in our society. I've been reading this amazing book called The Divided Mind by Dr. John Sarno. He's an MD, S A R N O. The Divided Mind. It's it's about the epidemic of mind body disorders. And I'm about halfway through it, and it's blow, blowing my mind because he's uh, – I didn't realize how much um, mind-body disorders and the whole phenomena of psychosomatic, it has been incredibly downplayed and denigrated and otherwise um, wiped out of medical studies, medical literature, medical training – and now psychiatric and even the DMS, you know, which is the main manual used to teach um, psychologists and psychiatrists about the various ailments, uh, dysfunctional psychological psychiatric processes that go on in the human being. Right. They've, they've, they've removed references to psychosomatic. It's like removing uh, any references to climate change from all of the EPA and, uh, <laughs> you know, all these agencies in the United States, you know, the National Park Service can't even talk about how climate change could be affecting our, our parks, you know. And I sense a Donald uh, Trump joke coming up at some point, but we'll leave that for the moment. <laughs> well, you're pretty good at those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we do, this isn't a political show, so we won't do that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so anyway, the point is that I had no idea that back in the 1800s and the early 1900s, there was a lot more scientists and uh, others speaking about psychosomatic illness and beginning to research it and develop trains of thought about it. And one of the main researchers even said that he was so excited. This was, I think the early 1900s was that he could see that by within 50 years, this would be one of the dominant um, branches of medical science. Oh, really? Psychosomatic medicine. And what the, Dr. Sarno was saying in his book, and that it's it's been anything but that. It's it's now the opposite. And I thought, why would there be such a huge drive to uh, wipe out this mind-body connection and the willingness to study that and to look into it and to understand it? Whereas in the world of law of attraction, it's basically everything. Mm, you know, like yeah. in law of attraction, we say whatever you're vibrating inside yourself, your whole condition of your thoughts and your feelings is of course going to finally in the final phase show up as your health. Mm -hmm. It's going to show up as what your body is manifesting. So if you've got ailments, you know, they're coming from some kind of way you're thinking and feeling. And, and I put in my little description of today's podcast that it's mainly what you're feeling because I'm, as I read more and more about psychosomatic mind-body connection, I'm finding that, yeah, it's feelings, you know, it's, but of course you could tie thoughts into feelings all over the place. Um, they're, but, they're pretty, pretty much inseparable. But the, the, thing yeah. about, the thing about psychosomatic is, I mean, there, there's a popular phrase that goes with that word in most people's minds. And that word is, or that phrase is, it's all in your head. 
and it's and you're right it is sort of a denigrating yeah, thing it's, it's like dismissing if it's in your head then it must be dismissed and i think there are a couple reasons for that um one reason is particularly the 20th century even uh, late 19th but especially the 20th century was all about objectivity and objectivity mm -hmm. still continues to this day as a major uh force in human thought and human practice uh, mm -hmm. the idea that the only way, it, it, well, it's kind of what uh, um, experimental science is based on. You ha everything that, that people make conclusions about within mainstream science has to be based on external evidence and only external evidence. And that external evidence must be reproducible. And if it's, re if it's reproducible by a bunch of people, each doing it independently, then it's objective. Mm -hmm. so, so objectivity becomes a really major part of how not only science works, but how people understand the world. And then there's yeah. also a second factor, um, which it, it, it's the world of religion. I'll say it's primarily Christianity, although I suspect it's probably also true for other religions. But while I've studied some of the other religions, I can't say I'm really expert enough to render an opinion in this particular case. However, where Christianity is concerned, uh, Christian teachers for, long, for a long time, for generations, have been teaching that you can't trust your inner being. You can't trust uh, any thoughts and feelings from inside. And that that, mm -hmm. that borders on sorcery, right? That borders on yeah. on you know, Satan and, and the dark, uh, you know, the dark side of existence and all that kind of thing. Wow. So, so you put that combination together. Who wants to go inside? Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. moment the moment anybody says, "Well, it's all in your head," is the moment that it truly gets dismissed. It has uh -huh. to be because everything has to be external, and if you go inside, you're risking the eternal damnation. Oh. You think that still like a underlying force that's affecting everything? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's not as pervasive as it was. Fortunately, there's been a lot of improvement in the way people understand looking inside, regardless yeah. of whether they understand law of attraction. I mean, it has definitely improved. But, yeah. I mean, I can still see uh, the phenomenon happening, say, with the religious right, on the far right. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, anything having to do with looking inside is still frowned upon. Wendy Dillard talks about that. Wendy was raised in a right? very conservative religious household. She was uh -huh. involved in two cults, religious cults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and they were Christian or something. Like they that. were Christian, very definitely Christian. And yeah, she, she has talked quite eloquently about how you are taught to distrust any intuitions you get from inside. Wow. Yeah. That's so funny because I was hanging out with uh, this woman from... Um, Salt Lake City, who was a Mormon, like about 20 years ago. And, and she said that, that in Mormonism, the, the key to everything is to be able to listen to your impressions, they call them, that you receive. Oh, and yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, I, I kind of painted a broad brush there because there are a lot of elements of the religious right. And well, not all well, the religious right believes that. I'm just saying Mormonism is are... really different. Yeah. Mormonism yeah. is quite different than yeah. a lot of the religious right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, but, you know, when you think about it, like Dr. Sarno, when he he has people that approach him. Now, he's he just recently died he, in his 90s, so he was, he was um, you know, doing this ever since the 50s. Mm. Uh, well, he graduated from medical school when he was 1950, yeah. um, but he was revolutionary, and he was marginalized by a tremendous amount of different physicians. In fact, his book, The Divided Mind, he... He has chapters in there by about five or six other actual MDs who who actually have taken up the cause of uh, psychosomatic medicine, but they are still revolutionaries in the whole American United States world of medicine. You know that people who are willing to uh, advocate and talk about and study psychosomatic medicine, but when he brings people to him, Doctor Sarno's has a team. You know he had a team, and I I don't know if it still exists now that he's gone. But um, so the first thing they would do when a person they they first had to accept the person in their program based on whether they felt the person was had a predisposition to believe that their mind um, that their thoughts and feelings could create conditions in their body. And if they if they felt the person had a predisposition to accept that, then they would allow them into the program. And this is generally what it sounded like. And interestingly, the first thing they did is they give a lecture that was well-developed and it's his, he has the whole lecture in his divided mind book, uh, chapter three or something. And, and he said that a huge amount of his, I don't know what percentage, but a great percentage of his patients would 
alleviate their conditions in their body that some had, had existed for huge parts of their life, these conditions, by listening to his lecture. <laughs> really? <laughs> or, and a whole lot of people have written him that just by reading, he has three books out, just by reading his books that their conditions have vanished. Because once they understand and accept, he said it's, it's that they, it's the acceptance of the fact that your mind and your feelings can create conditions, physical conditions in your body. So then for a lot of people, those conditions start to vanish. They start to clear up and they can completely disappear. For others, interestingly, he brings them into this program and he puts them through a protocol that's um, created by his medical portion of the program. And then, but it's very psychological as well. And, and then if they don't respond to that, he's, he has a team of psychotherapists he sends them to. And the psychotherapists are trained specifically in mind-body medicine. So they, um, they really help the person make the connections necessary and do the deeper inner work. You know, that the reason why, you know, like I would refer a person to a psychotherapist or what, see one myself as I'm doing right now is because of deeper things that don't seem to be able to be addressed just by, you might say, changing my thoughts and, 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 you know, doing my appreciation journal and doing the different Abraham exercises and things don't seem to be enough. Certain things seem to persist. Mm -hmm. And so psych psychotherapy has ways of going deeper with a person. And, it, you know, it's controversial in the realm of law of attraction as to how much you should be, you know, delving into your past or into these deeper, darker, so-called unconscious or subconscious regions um, but nevertheless, he, he got tremendous success then by the people who wouldn't respond just to his, either his lecture or his program by sending him to these psychotherapists. So there is a, there is a whole world of dealing with mind body, uh, symptoms and conditions, but it's very limited out there in the world. Um, I guess psychotherapy is the way, the main way it's dealt with because Psychiatry has really rejected it a lot. He said there isn't very many psychiatrists who really believe in the mind-body connection. I'm thinking, what? I thought that's what psychiatry was about. <laughs> and apparently not. That's interesting, yeah. Because the, the there is actually some uh, elements of this stuff that is accepted by science. The, the basic field of biofeedback. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there, I don't think there's a single medical practitioner anywhere who would deny that we have direct ability to influence things like our breathing, our heart rate, our brain waves, mm -hmm. and so forth. I mean, um, cause, because yeah. people can do it, I and mean, it's just so easy yeah. for people to do. It's right. not really in dispute. So mm -hmm. so given that fact, it's interesting that there's, there's kind of like a boundary line. Like, okay, well, we can control our breathing, we can control our brain waves, we can control yes. our uh, you know heartbeat, we can control a whole bunch of stuff like that, um, but we can't control anything else. <laughs> and 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 John Sarno he elaborates on that a lot in his book because really? he's been so immersed in that for so long that he he really shows how in the various sciences where they draw the line mm -hmm. you know the, you know it's very curious i mean it's a kind of book that i could actually read twice probably because you can really start to understand how science stays away from personal accountability or from believing that we, you know, that things get um, locked into us when we're babies, you know, or when our first few years of life that in our childhood, that things get locked in, that they have a childhood view of that, of what happened. And then, but it's that thing because it was a child that made the decision and the child was so impressionable because they depended so much on their parents for their entire world of survival and love that they that we lock in stuff from those very early years that can then show up in our later years or even at any time in our life as a disease process or a symptom, an allergy. Um, and there's definitely various things that John Sarno says are clearly over his treating of thousands of patients are clearly psychosomatic, you know, like I, and I looked at various things he was talking about and, and they're all the things I have. <laughs> You know, it was like, oh, my God, all of mine really are the are the dominant like psychosomatic things like like I have tinnitus, you know, that constant ringing in the ears. He said mm -hmm. that is clearly psychosomatic in, you know, the vast majority of cases for him, you know, in other words, when in the work he's done, 
as well as um, eye problems, ear problems, hearing problems, um, upper neck and shoulder arm problems, uh, gastrointestinal things. Um, and then, of course, things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, uh, Lyme disease, um, so many different things that are. And he said, interestingly, that you can go back and look at various periods of history in the United States and find that when a particular um, Mike syndrome was happening a whole lot in the general society, and this is also in Europe, he, he found this, especially in Norway, there's one particular study, that when a particular syndrome was in, in vogue, that's when the most people would show up with that syndrome. Like he studied, I think it was in Norway where everybody was having this thing they call whiplash syndrome, which uh, all of a sudden in tons of automobile accidents, they were finding that everybody was getting whiplash. You know, it was like, and so the insurance companies were set up in Norway to handle that really well. So there was a whole procedure that if you got whiplash, you could go through this procedure and you could get your medical treatments paid for by insurance companies. However, in nearby Lithuania, <laughs> they found that that all the whiplash injuries um, that there wasn't that same correlation at I mean there wasn't the phenomena there in other words people people were having they were having a ton of automobile accidents but they weren't getting whiplash and so the country's right next to Norway I guess I haven't looked on a map but um so do you understand what I'm saying like like it was it was very prevalent in in a country where Everything was set up, and it was broadcast that whiplash injuries were really common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, that well, that's clear. Of law of attraction, right? Yeah, law of attraction. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just fascinating how how so much of all this stuff is is a a mental emotional process going on that has a huge relevance to what we what we take in from our environment, what we take in from our own personal experience mentally and emotionally and what's in our feelings. Mm -hmm. yep. I don't know if that made any sense, but no, I think it makes sense. It actually ties in with what Abraham talks about, right? Because they, I don't remember the exact phrasing that they use, but uh, they basically make the point that any and all illness started with what I'll call inappropriate thought. And by inappropriate, I mean thought that goes count runs counter to what one's inner being um, believes. And yeah. when, we, when we engage in that kind of thought, Abraham says, what we're basically doing is setting up a vibration that encourages things such as dis-ease or illness to enter and kind of you know take a place in our bodies. And it, that's a pretty controversial way of looking at stuff for sure. I mean, medical science would definitely have a problem with that one. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, there is a lot of truth to it. And I would even be willing to bet that it's probably 100% true. Um, just because I haven't been able to learn how to eliminate stuff from my life. I mean, you mentioned, for, for instance, eyesight or tinnitus or whatever. Well, I've, I've got tinnitus, and I attribute it to the fact that I was a rock and roll guitarist with a, mm -hmm. with a guitar amplifier screaming in my left ear. So I have tinnitus yeah. in my left ear. You know, that's, to mm -hmm. me, that's like a direct connection kind of a thing, right? Yes. 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 But yes. by the same token, what was the thought process behind it? Well, I can't say I was playing this this screaming rock and roll music because I was feeling good. I was trying to make myself feel good, but the impetus behind it wasn't all that great of a feeling. And was there also a thought process that led up to the damage? Yeah, I think there probably was. And is there a thought process that has occurred since then? Yeah, I can point to that one too. That that one really haunted me for a long time because I was dealing with all kinds of of negative feeling issues for years until I discovered how law of attraction works. And even then it took me a while to kind of reverse the momentum. So mm -hmm. is there a correlation? Yeah, there's a definite correlation. Now, many scientists, people with scientific uh, minds and insights will point out correlation is not causation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's also got some valid point to it also. But nevertheless, the correlation is very high. In my own life, the correlation between thought process and various situations I've had to deal with is very high. I, I dealt with what they call irritable bowel syndrome for a number of years. Yeah, that's one of the ones on his list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I dealt with that for quite some time. It was painful, let me tell you. Really, yeah. really painful. Yeah. Um, but what I ultimately realized is that there were two main factors involved, and probably just one, but the, uh, the second one was more of like a good symptom reliever. 
the first factor was I was focusing on de on depressing stuff a lot. I mean, I really was. And mm -hmm. and by a lot, I mean like 98% of the time, 99% mm -hmm. of the time. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> the second factor was just not being hydrated enough. And I think that yeah. second factor is really more symptom related than anything because yeah. when you when you drink enough water, you you clear yourself out and you're going to just you know, when, that's where digestive pain takes place, right? It takes place in the the, the, the digestive system. You know, the, your mm -hmm. gut is where you're processing all this food and eliminating waste and all that stuff, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, it makes total sense to me that you need water in order to help lubricate that whole thing. But yeah. is the lack of water the cause of it? Not necessarily. Right, right. Or the cure. You know, or is taking it the cure, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a symptom reliever, you know, so it's kind of like right. taking, you know, an ibuprofen or whatever, or acetaminophen, if you got a headache, you know, yeah, yeah it'll, it'll, you know, dampen the pain. But right. does that mean that it cured the headache? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, what Dr. Sarnos found is that, <clears throat> that a person can go to all kinds of specialists and, and get everything from injections to surgery to a tremendous amount of pills and potions and uh, therapies of all types and um, and their their symptoms of that or that particular condition may or may not uh, clear up but invariably he said they seem to then manifest it somewhere else in another form um, maybe it turns in shows up as an accident or it shows up as just a whole nother disease process that shows up he he would chronicle some people who went through six or seven different diseases from everything from cancer to heart disease, you know, the whole gamut uh, diabetes, you know, like as they're, as they're um, going through going out and looking for cures and trying to address their situation. But then it just keeps showing up. I mean, something keeps showing up in their body again and again until, I mean, he believes that his, all his experience has shown that the only way these things ever clear up these psychosomatic illnesses in our body is when we deal with our deep unconscious um, things that are, that are locked in there from childhood mm -hmm. usually. And, um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a need to, uh, to really do some work on these things to really get to the root of it, to get to the cause of it. Well, plus and, what he's talking about is another way of expressing the law of attraction. I yes, mean, it is. It, it was reminding me of something just, I think it was yesterday. Um, I was remembering a cliche that uh, was quite popular when I was in my 20s, particularly. I mean, it's been around for a long time and it still exists today. But around that time, I remember just running into it a lot. And the cliche was along the lines of bad things happen in threes. Or sometimes it was in mm -hmm. sixes, you know, it depended on uh -huh. the person, right? But but it was always, there was a number, it was a fixed number, and, and it, you could just count on if something happened once or twice, there was going to be the third time or the sixth time or whatever the number was that the person associated with it. And as I look back, I realized that was actually an expression of the law of attraction. It was a distorted one because they were trying to say it's due to a fixed number and that it was the number that was doing it. But mm. what they were really describing was the law of attraction. Mm. And... That, and, and more specifically, they were describing the law of attraction used in a negative way, used uh, on stuff that we don't want, that we don't like, that doesn't feel good, you know, that involves yeah. sickness or disease or illness or death or you know something along that line. And when I understand I mean, it that way, then the, 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 the cliche yeah. actually makes sense now. At the time, I thought it was a bunch of nonsense. And then yeah. I would notice you know, sometimes it would actually happen and people would say, see, see, it really it, it works. It's really, really true. You know about about how things multiply the more we focus on them. Yeah, but they they would express it in terms of a particular number. They'd say, number, well, it's right. three, you know, or it's <laughs> yeah, six, right. or it's five, uh -huh. or you know, or seven, or uh -huh. whatever. Um, sure. But but you know, things always happen in threes. I heard that phrase a lot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than the fact that things are going to keep happening as long as you keep focusing. Exactly. On yeah. They never expressed it that way. I don't think they even understood it that way. Well, I have a fascination with psychosomatic medicine, and I have for a long time. I don't, I don't really know all the reasons, but I'm finding now that as I'm getting older, I've got a number of things in my body that are not fully responding to law of attraction in the sense of, well, let me just change my game plan here by, you know, constantly feeding myself with thoughts that will um, change the way that I look at life, change the way that I look at any any condition, any situation. And I've been I've been working with that for four or five years now, and yet certain things 
in my life just haven't really, I'm not, I'm not fully getting rid of them. You know, I've gotten, I've been able to control all the psychosomatic things that going on in my body, but I haven't been able to fully eliminate them. So, so you've had a lot of success, but it hasn't been complete and you're looking for complete success. I understand. I'm looking for a complete success. Well, plus some of the things are not in a way I've just learned how to control them. I haven't learned how to eliminate them. Mm -hmm. In other words, like, like say condition, like, candida which is supposedly underlies uh all upper respiratory conditions like colds flus and sinusitis and um i'm finding that i i can i can do all kinds of things to take my attention off the fact that i'm not even label it so say i don't i don't even say i have candida i don't even say i have sinusitis i say oh well there's that symptom again but I'm getting rid of that and I'm moving towards better health. I'm moving towards full health. And yet I know that I, I'm eating a very restricted diet because that's basically telling my, myself that I really do believe on a very deep level that if I don't eat this diet, those symptoms could come back. Mm-hmm. And so then I try to stray off the diet. You know, I let myself have some of the no-no foods <laughs> that I'm not supposed to have. And and sometimes the symptoms come back and sometimes they don't. Sometimes mm. they get worse. Sometimes they don't even seem to flare up at all. And so I have this really strong belief that it's not the foods, it's the belief system. It's some vibration I've got going on in me. And uh, so eventually I, I came to see, well, if, if, if I don't want to believe it's the, really the foods, then, then how is it? What is this vibration? You know, why mm-hmm. is this vibration still alive in me, which is, which is what's prompting me to read books like The Divided Mind and and to come up with um and and to work with with a therapist to see if I can see what these deeper vibrations are that are are sort of quote unquote locked into my body. Um and it's fascinating to see that that I in my life have had a lot of the qualities that Dr. Sarno lists as those things that are um are, are often present in people that end up with psychosomatic illnesses, like um, people people that grew up being overly conscientious or exceedingly responsible, uh, compulsive, uh, the need to have the behaviors of others conform to my own narrowly defined standards, um, uncompromising perfectionism. Any kind of perfectionism is always indicated in um, psychosomatic illnesses. And, and then, he says at the bottom of everything are are, are rage, um, and then he says that everybody has rage uh, that came in there from the time we were really young. You know, it's just anger, emotional pain, and sadness that can be traced back to childhood. Um, anger stemming from self-imposed pressures to be perfect and good. Um, anger generated from the pressures of life. Um, things like guilt, shame, fear, insecurity, vulnerability. So. Um, you know these kind of things if i go back and look at my at my life there was there was huge amounts of expectation from my parents and my teachers to to perform in a in a highly um you know like perfectionistic way in in other words to really please at all costs um, my parents and my teachers, and sure. I bought into it. I bought into it heavily. And, well, most you know, people do. <laughs> that's not, not, a, not unusual there, really. <laughs> right, right. And that's, of course, why Abraham can say every disease process and every illness is uh, a manifestation of a mind-body connection. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. And now, have you tried applying this specifically in your life yet? I mean, have you have you had any results, so to speak? Well, yeah, I, um, I had, well, oh, <laughs> funny that I, yesterday, I mean, I've been going out on walks and when I walk often my, as I've mentioned before on podcast, my psoas muscle on my right side seems to tighten as I walk, making walking more and more difficult. And then it, that affects my knee on my right side. And then it starts to affect my arm and shoulder on my right side. So the whole right, right side starts to become limping, you know, like I start to sort of limp to the point where it was really bothering me. And once I, I decided as John Sarno said that people who just listen to his lecture sometimes begin to let go of their psychosomatic symptoms and often completely let go of them. So he said that the key is accepting the, the understanding that it is that psychosomatic things are happening in your body, that, that you are creating these things through your thoughts and your feelings. And 
So I said, I, I went out on a walk with that understanding and I, I had virtually no problem, you know, with my walking, you know, tiny little bit compared to the day before when it was really bothering me a whole lot. And I had to stop and stretch a whole lot of times. And I thought, well, maybe I'm starting to really let go of this. Other times I've, in the last several months, I've noticed that when I, when I'm really able to go into a feeling and just really feel it deeply without trying to get rid of it, but just allow myself to be with that feeling and then go back into my life that certain situations change where I'm not as, I'm not the same level of say critical or judgmental or anxious about a situation like with my partner, for example, and I'm, I'm with her and something that was bothering me the day before is no longer bothering me once I spent some time with this deep inner feeling and just sat with it and was able just to feel into it, breathe into it. And then it, it didn't have the same impact on me the next time. Hmm. So I'm finding that I'm in a constant process of evolution. The more that I sort of own the fact that I do feel these things, but so many of them are buried. It seems like they're, they really are like they're unconscious. They're in they're, I'm, I'm unaware of a lot of these feelings. And so John Sarno's, uh, method is to get you in touch with them. Um, and so he says, various uh, unconscious, painful, and threatening feelings are what necessitates the pain. Uh, they, they are inside you, but you don't feel them. So make a list of all the things that may be contributing to those feelings. And then he says, write an essay, the longer the better, about each of these feelings that may be causing um you know, that may be threatening to you or painful to you. And the longer the list and the more you write, the better it'll force you to focus in depth on the emotional things that are of importance in your life. And um, anything that when you were a child prevents you, that prevented you from being a child falls into that category and should be put on your list, um, such as, you know, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, uh, not receiving adequate emotional support, not getting enough warmth and love, that will result in anger, sorrow, and pain, or excessive discipline or unreasonable expectations from the adults around us. <clears throat> All that stuff, you know, just unfortunately seems to get locked into us uh, because we're so impressionable when we're kids. Well, we are indeed. Um, I'm curious. To, I know that uh, he probably doesn't have a whole lot of um, scientific study because, like you were talking about earlier, this kind of stuff doesn't get studied at all anymore uh, within right. the mainstream science. But I, I'm guessing, does he have anecdotal stories about you know how oh, pe people would delve into this stuff and and make a huge yeah. change in their life and so forth? Yeah, his whole book is full of that stuff. It is okay. Yeah. So yeah. so that's good because you know it, when when we lack any kind of scientific evidence one way or another at all, anecdotal stories are great. Because they help us to to get a sense of yeah this stuff really does work. Yeah, and he has he has thousands of them, um, and so he feels that his and and I guess a few things that were I don't know if they were pseudo scientific or if they were actually scientific, but yeah he doesn't he doesn't quote a lot of actual scientific studies. Now I think Dr. Joe Dispenza is is doing a lot of work in this realm, um, and I believe he's he's turning it into science. Uh, his stuff is very fascinating hmm. because okay. uh, he's he's sort of on the cutting edge. Joe, Joe Dispenza was a guy who was in the movie The Secret, I believe. Um, and so he is, he's come right from the law of attraction background, but he's more of a uh, a brain scientist. So he he's I think he was originally a chiropractor, but he's he spread his his realm out quite broadly now. And he puts on these huge um, conferences now all over the world. And he's working with Greg Braden. I don't know if you know Greg Braden and some other, um, you know, now Greg Braden is a scientist, but he, his background was more like in geology or something, but he's, he's one, he's, he really looks into the mind body connection and, and the whole realm of, you know, the various dimensions of quantum physics that are affecting us on all these different levels. But I, I have a feeling that to go to one of their, one of their programs would be mind-blowingly fascinating because they're they're really on the leading edge of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, and turning it into science with with you know lots of uh, electrodes and all that being <laughs> put on people's brains, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I actually don't think Joe Dispenza was in The Secret. I think he was in a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know. Oh, was that the one? Okay. Yeah, I think that's where gotcha. he was. Yeah, gotcha. but yeah. yeah, he was. 
And you're right. From what, I, yeah. I have to look into this stuff more. I, I keep telling myself, you know, you got to start checking this stuff out because I really haven't. But yeah. everything that I hear tells me he's doing, he is doing a lot of stuff, a lot of really interesting stuff. He's, he's taking a scientific approach to this. And that's cool. I'm glad he's doing that. Yeah, and I saw him um, in some, some interviews, uh, say, in 2015, 2016, that were on YouTube. And they were, you know, they were really good. But just recently, um, I just ran in. In fact, yesterday or the day before, I stumbled on a YouTube piece by him that was from 2018, where he's on some kind of a Internet talk show being interviewed. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was a television talk show. I don't know. But, oh, my God, the guy has changed so much. He He is just... He is speaking law of attraction so fast and so scientifically and brain science verified that it's mind blowing. He, he, he is making connections. It's almost like his brain is on speed. You know, I, <laughs> I felt like, no, it was cool. It was cool to listen to him because he talks the way I do sometimes. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> you, I mean, he just you recognize really a kindred cool. spirit. Hey, that's great. Yes, yes. The one that people complain to me, you know, like, now, could I say something now? You know, yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, I mean, luckily, I've learned a lot about that in my coaching because it doesn't work to be a coach who talks all the time. <laughs> Coaches only really are effective if they're good listeners. So yeah, that's I'm true. learning to be a better and better listener. But I feel like a lot that I've had to educate educate a lot of my clients about law of attraction because a lot of them come to me and they just know a smattering of law of attraction and there's so much to understand about it and because and yet a lot of it you have to also just believe you have to just buy into the fact that these these folks that call themselves abraham are speaking to us from the unseen realm and that they've got they've got knowledge that that's mind-blowing to us you know and so you, a lot of it, you just have to sort of believe that there's a thing called the vortex or that everything is being orchestrated by source. Although there's a lot of other um, disciplines in life or ways of belief systems in life that believe that things are being orchestrated by uh, superior powers or, or other powers, you know, that are, that are um, in the unseen realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I highly, I highly recommend looking into Joe Dispenza's current stuff. If you're if you're a law of attraction uh, advocate who really wants to understand more about the mind body connection, that is his realm also. So John Sarno and Joe Dispenza are two two great people to be studying. If if you want to understand how your physical condition, your symptoms in your body are maybe being created by your emotions and your thoughts, and how you can begin to to alter that. Um, of course, that's what this whole podcast is about too. Dispenza, he wrote the one, didn't he write the book, You Are the Placebo? Isn't that his book? He wrote You Are the Placebo. Yeah. Um, he, and he's written another one that came out really recently. I have it in my Kindle books, but I, right now, I don't know if I could find it. But um, yeah, yeah, his most recent book is, I'm really fascinated to read it because it is, it is his latest, um, this latest edition, You Are the Placebo, is mind-blowing to read. It's very, very good, Law of Attraction stuff. And he has scientific case studies in there, like like the one I think we talked about on the show of the of all these men who were taken to this this facility for a week. And remember oh, that? Oh, right, the right. Whole, yeah. The whole facility was changed. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that was actually a, a Harvard professor who conducted that study. And I can't remember yeah. what her last name is, Dr. Helen something like Yes. Ellen, Ellen something. Langer or something. Langer, yeah. Ellen Langer, that's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very controversial study, too, because it was roundly rejected by you know the, the, the mainstream as being unpro- unreproducible, which is really strange. All they have to do is set up a study again, but what the hell? <laughs> they said it was unreproducible. <laughs> right. And and just to tell our listeners briefly what it was, is that you know she, she wanted to um, prove that by putting people into an environment that duplicated an environment they had 20 years when they were 20 years younger would cause their bodies and minds to go back to that state and thus affect their physiological processes and their psychological processes in a profound way. And, and so they set up this retreat facility for a week where these men were asked to go and live as if they were back in the 1960s, and this was the 1980s. So they they brought in 
televisions that, and radios and, and appliances and decor and everything that looked like a 1960s environment. And so everything on the television and the radio was programs from the 1960s. The magazines were from the 1960s. And they asked the men to talk about all the things that were going on then as if it was still back then yeah. and to live as much as they could back in that time period. And they found that when they studied these men's physiological processes before and after the retreat, that they literally changed their hearing, their eyesight, their gait, their, um, you know, men who came in with canes no longer needed canes. Right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> they played touch football, guys who hadn't played football in 30 years. Yep. And so it's, a, it's quite interesting to see how much the mind is affected. The mind and the body are affected by what we are experiencing. You know, I, I think the actual we, decades were the fifties and the seventies. And I say that because I remember part right. of the description was that it was president Eisenhower's picture on the wall. And of course he was president in the 1950s. Well, I remember that they were talking, that was all about what happened with the um, Bay of pigs invasion and what happened with Kennedy and Khrushchev. Yeah. That's and, what, that, and, that, and you're right. Was that was that part of it. That it was, well, that was uh 62. So, so it was like, yo, it was the early part of the sixties. You're right. I think the study was actually conducted in like 78 or 79. So that would be, you know, roughly 20 years prior. But okay. that, I mean, it, this, that, that's just quibbling, really. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. But if you want to be right, Walt, you can be right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. But um, but then they, they had a control group who I guess they had probably two control groups, one that didn't go there at all and, and one that went to the retreat place but didn't. Um, let's see. They weren't asked to believe that they were back then. They mm. were just surrounded with all these things like the television programs and all that. And they wanted to see if those guys' heart rates changed and their hearing and their eyesight and all these things. And they found that some change occurred, but not at all compared to the group that were asked to believe that they were living in that time and to actively participate emotionally in believing that they were living in that time. So it just shows you how powerful feelings are when it comes to psychosomatic things. The, the one uh, unfortunate thing about the study was that Langer never actually published her data. She only published exactly. her conclusions. And that, uh, that brought a lot of uh, pushback to her because uh, you know, a key component of the way science works is science wants to have independent checking. They, they want to be able to have yeah. somebody else take a look at the same data and say, yeah, does that sure. actually add up? You know, sure. and, and she didn't allow that. Um, huh. What's really interesting to me about that, though, is... Personally, I, I think she made a mistake in not publishing the data. I think it was a bad idea on her part. But mm -hmm. no one's reproduced the study since then. Nobody's even attempted to. And and yeah. that's the part that blows my mind. I mean, if you really want to disprove or prove the study either way, why wouldn't you want to reproduce it? Because re studies get reproduced all the time. It's not like, you know, oh, we only did one study and we're done. You know, you can never do it again because if you do, it violates the scientific law. No, that's not the way it works. <laughs> it's, study gets, studies get reproduced all the time. It's part of the scientific process. So that's why I'm amazed. And Nobody's you, tried to reproduce that one. When you read John Sarno's book, The Divided Mind, I guess, or any of his three books, you, you get a real good um, look at the history of that and why, that, why he believes that's occurring that way. Why is that? Uh, what does he say? Well, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but I mean, it's, it's this amazing. Um, well, there's okay. One of the obvious reasons in my mind, and, and he talks about it, is the financial incentive to keep the disease process exactly the way it is. Um, you know, there's so many, so many systems, external systems that have been created to keep symptoms being dealt with by external means, like all the different cancer therapies, heart therapies, uh, drugs, you know, mm. I mean, the entire pharmaceutical industry is based on not, you know, wanting to have people believe, wanting to have people believe that they need an external cure for their situation, for their symptom. And if they, if everything starts to turn to the fact that you're creating your own symptoms and that your own bodily conditions are somehow in your control, that's, incredibly threatening to a massive array of medical practitioners. And, and he details the, you know, the history throughout the, the United States of how, how powerfully they've, they've squelched, you know, any 
any um, inroads being made into this mind-body work. And it seems to be, you know, is, is there an active conspiracy or is it just all happening subconsciously in the whole medical profession, you know, to keep these things squelched? But he, he talks about some active ways they've actually made sure that, it, that that information doesn't get out. And all the pushback he's taken over the years, you know, just a huge amount of pushback he's gotten from his colleagues. And uh, I'm glad to see that there are four, four or five other doctors who write chapters in the book who are, I'm really anxious to get to that section. Mm. Uh, I haven't read any of their chapters yet to see what they're saying in comparison to what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty easy to make an argument. It doesn't have to be whether there's a conspiracy, but there is tremendous financial disincentive to engage in in studies like this simply because the money is in the drugs. The money is in stuff that you can patent and sell and Mm -hmm. you can't patent a study. There's no way to do that. And you can't patent the results of a study and you can't patent uh, a behavioral uh, change or a, or a, uh, you know, a, a different way of, of understanding stuff. There, you, there's no way to do that. And that's going to control how much money you're going to get for a study like that. So I can mm-hmm. see why mainstream science isn't going to put out a study like that. That makes total sense to me. The part that mm-hmm. I, I kind of stop on, though, is there are every year thousands of doctoral candidates. I don't mean just medical doctors. I mean PhDs, you know, all kinds of yeah. medical researchers and so forth, pursuing various kinds of advanced degrees. And they're constantly looking for topics for theses, you know? Hmm. Well, I would think one of them would want to reproduce that Langer study because it's such a great study to reproduce and, and maybe find some new twist on it so they can justify to their faculty advisor doing the study in the first place. But they don't have the same kind of economic disincentive. And that's why I'm a little bit surprised. Well, you know, if you, if you trace Dr. Sarno's, you know, uh, treatment process – all the way to what it really comes down to. It's what we said in the beginning of the podcast, what I was talking about. And that is, and one of the main reasons he feels that this stuff is not pursued is because it, it ultimately comes down to facing, you could say these, these shadow aspects of the unconscious that Carl Jung and so many psychologists have, have pointed to, which is saying that, you know, there are things that get locked in there, from very early ages that are terrifying to us. And to most people, they do not want to dredge up um, the possibility that there's there's vibrations that were set up at a very early age that are running their life that are producing now disease processes in their body, but that they're, they're ultimately because of this unconscious psychological pain. You know, there's the pain associated with these things these things that happened when we were really young um, that people ultimately, they don't want to, they don't want to admit that that stuff is even there and they don't want to feel it. They don't want to dredge it up because it seems like that's the past. It's painful. I don't want to go there. You know, why should I have to go there? Uh, Surely I can just take a pill. I can just do a a process. I can have lots of affirmations. (laughs) I can do my appreciation journal. I I can do, you know, so many other things. Surely I can deal with this without having to, to deal with these older feelings, you know, and in my I, own I, life, I love the way you managed to get the law of attraction into the mainstream by grouping it all in the same group. That was really well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it is for me. I mean, I mean, I'm a law of attraction coach, but if I don't, I'm finding if I don't incorporate this deeper vibrations that seem to be running so much of my show. Uh, I've got to understand, you know, that, that those, you know, how do I, how do I allow those vibrations to be finally, um, what's the word healed, uh, finally mm-hmm. integrated, finally aligned with source is what, you know, all these feelings are wanting to be aligned with my infinite self that is always healthy, that is always aligned. And, but to get them into that alignment, I have to, I have to somehow recognize the process that's taking place there. What's that? What's that feeling wanting me to understand about my alignment? And if I don't, if I don't really deal with that feeling, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to get to the bottom of what it's trying to tell me about my alignment. 
Well, one thing I can tell for sure is you're going to get to the bottom of it because there's been a theme to the topics you've come up with lately, and they all have this underlying theme. That tells me you're putting it out there in spades in terms of vibration, and it also tells me you're probably putting it out there in in terms of your your deliberate focus on a daily basis. So I'm not sure exactly what's going to come out of it, what the manifestation is going to be, but it's very clear you're pointing in a direction here and getting to a place where you're going to produce something amazing. I'm I'm, well, good. I'm I'm glad to have a, like a ringside seat to watch to find out what it's going to be. <laughs> you know what's happening? Well, you know what's so amazing? I am experiencing more of the law of attraction showing up in my life than I've ever experienced in doing this work. Interesting. I am, really? I am literally yeah, I'm literally watching things flood and I'm going to use that word flood into my life that are exactly what I need at exactly the right time, exactly, you know, just like Second, I think I need it. It's there. Very I mean, it's cool. like, it's really cool. I mean, the people, the the information, the I mean, the challenges. You know, I mean, whatever it is, it's just like popping into my life, and I feel like I have some. It's almost like if I had said, um, Archangel Michael, would you please be assigned to this and take care of everything for me? <laughs> and like Archangel Michael goes, Yes, sir. I've got it all in control. Or you say to God, God. I really need you to help me with this. Would you send all the necessary things? And it's like, okay, here they are. You know, it's it's like that. You know, it's mm, one. Nice. I wish I was, you know, could do that with money. You know, to the same way. Or, but, but I feel like it's it's life saying to me, you're on the right track. Yeah, you are definitely on the right track. And this is the work you need to be doing. And you don't. And, and it's funny how many people around me who are psychologists are saying to me you're you're totally going to be fine you're you're exactly where you need to be and they even know exactly where i'm at they say oh no you're in this process it's a phase of initiation and you're going you're in this phase and now you're going to be going into this phase you know it's almost <laughs> like that i mean it's like it's like okay really <laughs> well you're on a journey that's what you are right that's right you're on this journey yeah. and you don't necessarily where know where it's going to go but uh, heck that's half the fun right it's the journey it's the adventure and, yeah. and you learn stuff along the way, but the journey is where where it's really all at. That's why we ask people to be subscribers to our podcast, because we're on a journey here. I mean, every single podcast with every single co-host is different. So it's always a, a completely different perspective every single time we do a show. And yet all those different perspectives gives us so many different ways to understand this, this rather large topic of the law of attraction. So I, I just want to take a moment to remind and encourage people who are not yet subscribers, please become a subscriber. Really easy to do. I mean, if you haven't already figured out how to do it, just go to the homepage of our website, LOAToday.net. The instructions are right there. There's even some links you can click that'll take you right to where you need to be to get that subscribe button. And once you subscribe, you get all of the episodes streaming right to your smartphone or tablet or whatever device it is that you use. Um, and simultaneously, for those who are already subscribers, and we're seeing people doing it, I'm, I was going through my Twitter feed today, you know, for LOA Today, and people are, are they're retweeting, they're liking, they're sharing, they're saying, hey, I love the show and that kind of thing. And mm. it, it's paying off because we're seeing it in the numbers. More and more people are discovering it. So please keep doing what you're doing and do it even more. If you haven't done it, start posting stuff on your favorite social media channel about LOAToday.net because when you do, it gets into the hands of people you didn't even know about. And that means more and more people get their daily dose of happy, and that's what we're really all about. How many downloads a, a month, you said, or a week? Or uh, Well, we were getting about a month and a half ago, two months ago, we were averaging around 200 to 250 per day. And okay. we're now around yeah. 500 per day. We're just under 500 oh, per, per day. day. Yeah. Downloads. Downloads, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's working out now. I think we're on pace for about 14,000 downloads for the month. Damn. Yeah. I mean, this time last year, I th- I think we were hoping for like 1,000 in a month. <laughs> wow. The growth has wow. been just exponential. It's wow. been fantastic. And we want it to keep going. We want more and more people to find out about it. Beautiful. So anyway, this has been great, um, and I I guess we were out of time, so I'll have to say I look forward to talking to you in a week. Yeah, me and too. I, I hope you have a great weekend, too. I hope you have a great weekend and a great week. Thank you very much. And, and uh, we also want to invite our listeners to not only have a great weekend, but keep tuning in, and uh, we hope that we'll, we'll see you again next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>